This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the one year Bible reading for November 4th, and we're in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. We're starting today at the beginning of chapter 10, and Ezekiel is having another vision from the Lord. This time he's being transported to Jerusalem and getting the background of why the judgment of God has fallen on the nation of Israel. And so he has seen the glory of the Lord. Uh, come up from the cherubim and move to the temple door. And we're going to see that glory depart uh, from Jerusalem at this time. As I looked, I saw what appeared to be a throne of blue sapphire above the crystal surface over the heads of the cherubim. Then the Lord spoke to the man in linen clothing and said, Go in between the whirling wheels beneath the cherubim and take a handful of glowing coals and scatter them over the city. He did this as I watched. The cherubim were standing at the south end of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud of glory filled the inner courtyard. Then the glory of the Lord rose up from above the cherubim and went over the door to the door of the temple. The temple was filled with this cloud of glory, and the temple courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of the Lord. The moving wings of the cherubim sounded like the voice of God Almighty and could be heard clearly in the outer courtyard. The Lord said to the man in linen clothing, Go between the cherubim and take some burning coals from between the wheels. So the man went in and stood beside one of the wheels. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand and took some live coals from the fire burning among them. He put the coals into the hands of the man in linen clothing and the man took them and went out. All the cherubim had what looked like human hands hidden beneath their wings. Each of the four cherubim had a wheel beside him, and the wheel sparkled like chrysolite. All four wheels looked exactly the same. Each wheel had a second wheel, turning crosswise within it. The cherubim could move forward in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. They went straight in the direction in which their heads were turned, never turning aside. Both the cherubim and the wheels were covered with eyes. The cherubim had eyes all over their bodies, including their hands, their backs, and their wings. I heard someone refer to the wheels as the whirling wheels. Each of the four cherubim had four faces. The first was the face of an ox. The second was a human face. The third was a face of a lion. And the fourth was the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the same living beings I had seen beside the Kiber River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels moved with them. When they rose into the air, the wheels stayed beside them, going with them as they flew. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels also stopped, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Then the glory of the Lord moved from the door of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of the of God of Israel hovered above them. These were the same living beings I had seen beneath 
the God of Israel when I was beside the Kiber River. I knew they were cherubim, for each had four faces and four wings and what looked like human hands under their wings. Their faces, too, were just like the faces of the beings I had seen at the Kiber, and they traveled straight ahead, just as the others had. Then the Spirit lifted me and brought me over to the east gateway of the Lord's temple, where I saw twenty-five prominent men of the city. Among them were Jeazaniah, son of Azur, and Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, who were leaders among the people. Then the Spirit said to me, Son of man, these are the men who are responsible for the wicked counsel being given in this city. They say to the people, Is it not a good time to build houses? Our city is like an iron pot. Inside it we will be like meat, safe from all harm. It's a funny saying, isn't it? But I was reading this morning that this was a, you know, if you were the meat in the pot, that you weren't being uh devoured or consumed by the fire. And so they were calling themselves the elite who would be protected. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against them loudly and clearly. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon me and he told me to say, this is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. Is that what you are saying? Yes, I know it is, for I know every thought that comes into your minds. You have murdered endlessly and filled your streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. This city is an iron pot, but the victims of your injustice are the pieces of meat, and you are not safe. For I will soon drag you from the city. I will expose you to the wars you so greatly fear, says the Sovereign Lord. I will drive you out of Jerusalem and hand you over to foreigners who will carry out my judgments against you. You will be slaughtered all the way to the borders of Israel, and then you will know that I am the Lord. No, this city will not be an iron pot for you, and you will not be the meat safe inside. I will judge you even to the borders of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord. For you have refused to obey me. Instead, you have copied the sins of the nations around you. While I was still speaking, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, suddenly died. When then I fell face down in the dust and cried out, O Sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone in Israel? Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the people still left in Jerusalem are talking about their relatives in exile, saying they are far away from the Lord, so now he has given their land to us. Therefore give the exiles this message from the Sovereign Lord. Although I have scattered you in the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary to you during your time of exile. I, the Sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you are scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel once more. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their detestable idol worship, and I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their hearts of stone and give them tender hearts instead, so that they will obey my laws and regulations. Then they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those who long for idols, I will repay them fully for their sins, says the Sovereign Lord. Then the cherubim lifted their wings and rose into the air with their wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the city and stopped above the mountain to the east. And this is fairly clearly the Mount of Olives. And later in Ezekiel, we're going to hear 
that the Lord will return in the same way that the glory departed. Afterward, the Spirit of God carried me back again to Babylonia, to the Judeans in exile there, and so ended the visit of my uh, the vision of my visit to Jerusalem. And I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. Hebrews six. Last time we were talking about the need to be mature in our Christianity. So let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start all over again with the importance of turning away from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people to repentance again because they are nailing the Son of God to the cross again by rejecting him, holding him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the rain that falls on it and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has the blessing of God. But if a field bears thistles and thorns, it is useless. The farmer will condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, even though we are talking like this, we really don't believe that it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unfair. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other Christians, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep right on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and patience. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you richly, and I will multiply your descendants into countless millions. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. When people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it, and without any question that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. And we may have talked before about how in the Abrahamic covenant, it was God himself who cut the covenant by himself, not with Abraham's participation, such that it would be everlasting. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the line of Melchizedek. Psalm 105, starting in verse 16. He, he the Lord, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. 
Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. There, in prison, they bruised his feet with fetters, and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his word, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisers. Then Israel arrived in Egypt. Jacob lived as a foreigner in the land of Ham. And the Lord multiplied the people of Israel until they became too mighty for their enemies. Then he turned the Egyptians against the Israelites, and they plotted against the Lord's servants. But the Lord sent Moses his servant along with Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed miraculous signs among the Egyptians and miracles in the land of Ham. The Lord blanketed Egypt in darkness, for they had defiled his, defied his commands to let his people go. He turned the nation's water into blood, poisoning all the fish. Then frogs overran the land. They were found even in the king's private rooms. When he spoke, flies descended on the Egyptians and gnats swarmed across Egypt. Instead of rain, he sent murderous hail and flashes of lightning overwhelmed the land. He ruined their grapevines and fig trees and shattered all the trees. He spoke and hordes of locusts came, locusts beyond number. They ate up everything green in the land, destroying all the crops. Then he killed the oldest child in each Egyptian home, the pride and joy of each family. Proverbs 27, 1 and 2. Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what the day will bring. Don't praise yourself. Let others do it. And to end today, I have a blessing for you. And it comes from Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. May God himself put springtime in your soul. May you live today with expectancy that he's doing a new thing in your midst. May you refuse to worry, release your cares, and remember his promises. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Have a faith-filled, expectant day today. We may have read that before, but it seems so appropriate today. Um, have a beautiful day. Love you all.